Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. I'm Brandon Hall, the Director of Scouting for PBR. He's Matt Payne, our North Carolina Director of Scouting. Going to talk about all the action going on across high school baseball. Plus, we're getting into our summer, uh, scout days, open events, leading into the future games, North Carolina, South Carolina border battle, and much, much more. Matt, how are we doing? Doing good. How about you? Good, good. We've got a bunch of stuff going on around the house today, so I'm hoping that the noise doesn't get into the into the room too much. Um, and then little man's already out for the summer. So don't be shocked if he just barges in here at some point. Um, and we'll just roll with it. Cause I'm probably not going to edit that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but a big day today, we've got, um, you know, our first team Carolina trials tonight as we're filming this on Wednesday and posting on Thursday. Um, you know, I think we've got, you know, close to 40 players. Um, you know, a lot of those guys are still in school, so it's kind of a weird date, but it does allow us to get a jump on seeing some guys that, you know, may represent Team Carolina in, North Carolina in the North Carolina-South Carolina border battle or future games or top prospect games or some of those bigger events we had coming down the line. Yeah, those those events have been good to us as far as getting players for Team Carolina and then um, guys update numbers and, you know, our border battle and top prospect games. And uh, they've been a good events in the past and, and looking forward to the roster we have tonight. Yeah, big one tonight. And, this, of course, this weekend we've got uh, one, two, three, four, four, five scout days. So really excited about those scout days as well. Um, <clears throat> chance to see a lot of good players across North Carolina, but you know, as we're talking about that, a lot of good players from North Carolina kept their seasons alive. College baseball works itself into a regionals, uh, 64 teams paired up in 16 regionals. Um, I know you and, and Sammy uh, Esposito in South Carolina sat down and I think went bracket by bracket, making some picks on the South Carolina podcast. So if you want to see that, you can find that on YouTube. Um, but what were your overall impressions on some of the things that came out of the regionals as they were posted? Um, ACC, SEC baseball. You know, SEC getting eight hosts. Uh, I believe the ACC had four. Uh, once again, they lead with a number of teams in. Uh, and then uh, the Columbia Regional with NC State and Campbell down there. Uh, I think it's got a chance to be big. And then Wake Forest, the year they had, getting the number one overall seed. Very deserving of that. Yeah, I, I think we had eight from North Carolina, which is a new record uh, for the state. Um, within the Carolinas, we had <clears throat> Wake, Coastal, South Carolina, Clemson. Was it was that the four host? So quarter Coast, of the host. Was there another one? Coastal, yeah, four, Clemson, South Carolina. You had three in host in South Carolina. Yeah, so four in the Carolinas, a quarter of the coasting sites in, in North and South Carolina. Um, you know, the other, the other big takeaway for me, and I know we're seeing, you know, the coach at Kansas State, uh, we're seeing some other coaches, you know, UC Irvine and they're hemming and hawing on the RPI. And I get that out there, there's at times where they can't schedule. And, so, you know, UCI tried to schedule. They really did. And they had some teams lose in the last two weeks where if they had just played 500, those teams they had played against had just played 500 – those end up being quad one wins. Instead, they drop out of the top 50. They're, they're barely quad two wins just because they're on the road. Um, and that, that hurts, and you can't predict that. But I thought the bubble was so soft this year. I didn't think there was any, any deserving team that looks up and goes, man, I can't believe we didn't get in. Um, whereas you see that you know, last year, I thought NC State was a deserving team and didn't get in. 
I don't think the committee made now there's there's teams you can make arguments for. This team should have been in over that team, but there's teams in this tournament that in years past would not have sniffed it. I just thought the, the bubble was extremely weak. I think the high higher end of the brackets, the higher end of the host sites and the and, and the ones and two seeds are much, much stronger than the threes, the fours, and the guys left out. Yeah, the the bubble was definitely weak this year. Um uh, glad to see state get back in, but the I mean, you know, from coaching and, and scheduling, the you know, coaches try to factor in RPI when they schedule and, you know, do the best they can and with the non-conference. But when you play, uh, when your league's tough, like take the Sun Belt, you know, a good league, you got to be careful what you do non-conference because, you you know, you got to try to make sure you get some wins in there and don't kill your team early. And uh, scheduling is definitely a, a tricky part of college baseball that probably a lot of people don't realize how much goes into it. Yeah, I mean, when I was at Charlotte and we were in the Atlantic 10, we had some leeway with midweek games. I know Campbell has done this at times in the past where you can hold a weekend guy for a midweek knowing that your four is going to be fine on Sunday or your two is going to be fine on Friday against whoever you're playing. And you can hold your one back or you could slough off a little bit. The other thing that happens when you're in some of those weaker leagues is you can really plan your bullpen out. You know, you, you get in some blowout games, you get in some games where you're up four, five, six runs on Saturday and Sunday, and so you're not pitching guys in tight leverage. You can throw them 30 pitches, 30 pitches, 30 pitches, go to the next guy. As long as we're throwing strikes, we're going to be fine. And then you roll out there on Tuesday or Wednesday, and you've got 12 to 13 arms that you can throw at whoever you're playing. And as soon as one guy is, doesn't have it, boom, we go to the next arm. You don't ever have to have a guy kind of sift through it and work through it because your bullpen's been shortened, whereas <clears throat> being in, in a strong conference, you mentioned the Sun Belt, obviously the SEC, the ACC, um, you know, at times the American, at times uh, a, a, a Conference USA, um, you may be in battles for three straight days. And Tuesday, you may just limp in with pitching on Tuesday. You have your Tuesday starter. He's set and ready to go. He's fine. But that ability to mix and match and set up for the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth innings, isn't there. And all that affects RPI. All that affects it. And, you know, we try to manipulate, we try to plan, we try to schedule. Here's how we're going to attack the RPI. But there's so many different factors that play into it. I don't know if there's a mathematical formula where you say, okay, this works for baseball outside of, you know, some of the eye test. And I honestly think I would love to see them kind of go back to a little bit more of a regional format and maybe certain regions are getting more teams in. Um, I know Division Two does this, but I don't think Division Two has it right either because I don't think the Southeast gets enough teams in because there are a lot more there. There are really really good teams left out. When if you would go to the Northeast and take one of those teams left out and put them in the Northeast Regional, they would be picked to win that regional. That's not necessarily right either. No, it's not. And you know, baseball is very strong in the Southeast, and you get into some of those mid majors there that may finish on the top half of say a, a Big Ten conference or something like that, but you know, you got to factor in budget too. And they also have to get a certain number of home games to, to keep their administration happy. So that, you know, they may want to go play uh, an SEC school midweek or somebody else mid, midweek, but they just aren't, doesn't work out budget wise or, or with their administration and, and things like that. So it's tough. And there's definitely teams that, that probably get hosed on some of that. Um, I did, you know, it is nice to see Coastal Sunbelt team hosting and then another Louisiana get in and, you know, Campbell, with the year they had, they were right there with a the host, and they just, you know, you know, it's hard for those schools to, to host that are in smaller conferences at times. 
That that was another take I had away. You know, the fifteen of the top sixteen RPIs are hosting. We're leaning really heavily on that. But the one that doesn't get the host is the mid major that's won two championships. They won the regular season, they won their 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 bid, and they get bumped by a team at nineteen whose A D is the committee chair. Now when they've been bumped for Auburn and probably maybe. I don't think Auburn was the school that necessarily had to jump. <clears throat> but I was shocked to see Auburn jumping Alabama and South Carolina and, and Campbell. Um, you know, I, I think it would have been great. Now you get in some other logistics too. You put a fifth regional host in the Carolinas. It does create some travel issues. I know the, the NCAA, the committee is going to tell you, they don't think about that. They absolutely think about that. Um, you know, you're seeing the debacle that's happening in Kentucky right now. I, I can't imagine that the committee did not know that they weren't going to have hotels, that they were going to be staying in um, in dorms. But that's part of, uh, you know, that SEC. You know, they're going to bring in money. They, they have some TV draw. They have some TV power. And, you know, I, I, that, that regional should be in West Virginia. Kentucky can still be the one. But go play at West Virginia, you know, if, if, if we're, if we're going to do that. There, there were some things that I would like to see changed kind of within in that structure and, and seeing, you know, some of the power. Because it happens every year. You can almost tell at the end of the deal, you can pick out three or four teams and go, I, I guarantee one of these teams had somebody on the committee. And every year they do. Um, and so, I, you know, it, it's, it takes a strong, you know, uh, bias. And they're supposed to step out of the room. They do step out of the room. But – it doesn't go away. So um, having said that, does Campbell play with a chip on their shoulder? Does Auburn play with a chip on their shoulder? I would have loved to have seen Auburn or Campbell as the two at Auburn too. You know, <laughs> if you're going to give Auburn the gift, well, here, here's the best two in the country. Have at it. You know, and now, now go to work and let's see, let's see what happens, especially in that part. Cause I think Campbell would be fit to play at Plainsman there in Auburn. But um, I know you guys went through bracket by bracket and made your picks looked at everything that was going to happen. Give me a – did you have a three or a four seed rolling through? Did you have a surprise in any bracket that you can remember? I had a I had four seed Wright State winning winning at Indiana State. Uh, winning the whole thing? Winning the whole thing. Uh, nice. They're, they're, they're Coach Sogard. I play with him in college. They, they go to regionals every year. And I, I know you got Carolina there. Uh, they're they're – stay on Wright State for a second. They're the four seed nobody wants to see. Because they're the four seed that's been in a regional. Remember, Tennessee hit the grand slam in the the ninth or tenth. I think it was a ninth to knock them out two years ago before they made their trip to the World Series. Nobody wants to see Wright State as their four because that's a strong four. The RPI we talk about how the RPI can be misrepresented. Their RPI is not right. They're much better, and I don't even know what it is, but they're much better than RPI because they're not a four seed. Yeah, and you know, Sogard takes those guys, and you know, they seems like they go to Arkansas, Oklahoma State, or Kentucky every early every year, and um, you know, their, their conference hurts their RPI, but he's doing a good job up there, and the guys before him did a great job up there. That's been a program that's a love lady who just got fired at, at Central Florida was yeah, yeah. You know, so the, the hammer can drop quick. <laughs> it can, and it, you know, uh, that'll be an interesting regional for me, and then. You know, Clemson with their run late, winning the ACC tournament, and having Tennessee as their two, just you know, that feels a little off for me because I mean, we all know Tennessee's is super talented team, and to have them coming as a two, that's you know, your four overall national seed, and you get those guys. That's you know, I question that a little bit. 
Yeah, I thought I thought the the three seed there with Charlotte being the three seed and as offensive as Charlotte has been, Tennessee's going to have to throw Dolander. I, I would think they're not going to be able to slough off. So, uh, you know, Clemson doesn't. I don't, I, they they've got depth in the on the mound. They got a bunch of a bunch of guys that can get outs. I don't know if they have one shutdown guy. They just go, "This is the dude. Roll him out there. We'll see in the eighth inning." But it gives Clemson the chance, maybe to throw their two or their three in game one and then roll back with their one in game two. I don't know that Tennessee has that choice to be able to win both games. I think Tennessee has to throw their ace against Charlotte. Otherwise they're going to get bullpen depleted going into games two and three. Yeah, that'll be uh that part plays the Charlotte's offense. You know, that's a, that's a hitter's yeah. park there. That'll be interesting. And I think, you know, we talked about coastal earlier. I think the South Carolina regionals, wide open, you know, South Carolina struggled some down the stretch, Campbell's rolling and uh, NC state can get hot for a weekend. So to me, that one's wide open. You know, in, in that park, since coach Tanner left and, and, and Holbrook had a little bit, it, it doesn't have the home field advantage it had when South Carolina was making their runs as national side. We went down there in 07 and we lost the regional championship game. And a lot of it had to do with the crowd. We, we had a, a five-hour rain delay. They had a chance to go to their parking lot and um, partake in some <laughs> beverages. And they came back in, and it was a different environment. It was – you felt like you were on the verge of a riot if things didn't go their way. I mean, it was – you were on edge that much. That was the old ballpark, the new ballpark. And, and it's almost turned into – if you can get ahead of them, their crowd will turn against them. <laughs> so quickly that it, it will hurt them playing. And we, we saw that happen a couple of years ago in a regional, you know, so I, I think, I don't think there's a huge home field advantage there. I think the park plays to NC state and to Campbell's strengths, um, you know, and then can South Carolina is South Carolina going to get healthy. I know they're missing their one, they're missing their shortstop going into the end of the year. You know, if they're not healthy, that's in, that'll be interesting. I think the other thing to watch is, is how does the pitching set up? What does Campbell do? With Kuehler, they're one. Do they hold him and maybe throw him in game two? And no, because they've got depth. They've got they've got enough arms. They can match up their two. Is going to be fine against State. State's still going to score runs, but Campbell can score with them because I don't know that NC State has a guy you just run out there and go, this is the shutdown guy. Here he is. Let's roll behind him. Campbell and NC State did not play midweek this year, so it'll be their, their first time facing off, which I think makes that a little more interesting. Uh, you mentioned the 07 regional. We were both in that one. I think weather affected that a little bit. Uh, the old ballpark, I felt like, had the the college campus feel. You know, we're here to party. We're going to have a good time. The new park, so maybe a little more corporate. And, uh, right. you know, it's not as home field advantage for South Carolina. But uh, that one will be a, a fun fun one to watch around all our scout days this weekend. Yeah, so I, I'm looking through it. My heart wants to pick Wilmington. I, I don't like the draw they got at Coastal. Um, but but my heart wants to pick them. I think a lot of it will depend on how Conway's playing day to day. You know, can Wilmington on a day they need it to play small, will the park play small on the day they need it to play big, will the park play big? And 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 they can shift down there in a couple of hours. And we've seen that happen before. It can there can be a huge difference between the two o'clock game and the seven o'clock game, just because the sun sets and the the you get a little bit of a shift off the ocean with the tides, and all of a sudden that ballpark becomes just huge. Um, and so I think that that'll play into it. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I like a lot of the higher seeds and, and, you know, I know I'm stepping out on a dangerous ledge right there and oh my <laughs> gosh, what's he, what's he even saying? 
it's just I, I thought I thought the top the top end of college baseball this year was much 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 better than the middle half, and so I'm sure we're going to have an upset somewhere. We're going to have a team, you know, win a game they're not supposed to, and then all of a sudden they're in the seventh in the championship game and they're up one. They go to their closer and the guys just dynamite that night, and boom, we got a four seed rolling through. But I, I I'm not going to be. I, I don't see one standing out, and I go that one's dangerous because I do like. I like a lot of the ones and two seeds. Yeah. Two things right here. You know, you talked just on it earlier, the NCAA factor and in travel costs with regionals. You know, UNC Wilmington never gets to go to an Indiana State and right. be the three seed there to have a chance to compete. You know, you right. wonder what would happen if, if they get that draw at times. Mm-hmm. And then ECU, 45-win 40, club. How do you feel about them at UVA? Well, there are two programs that are run very similar. They know each other fairly well. I want to say they they that's they're one of the clubs that scrimmage each other in the fall. Because I know Coach Mack, the hitting guy at Virginia, obviously coached at East Carolina when Cliff was playing there. So they you know those guys are tight. Um, <clears throat> Virginia's arms are really good. I mean, there and there's depth. I, we saw them in the ACC tournament and they lost to Chapel Hill. They gave up some runs there, but I mean it was just arm after arm after arm and. I think they were really setting themselves up. They knew they were going to be hosting. You know, let's get our, you know get ourselves in the right positions. We don't want to you know expend anybody. Um, and then offensively, they're they're guys in the middle of the order: the catcher Teal uh, and the third baseman who went with us to future games back when we were Mid Atlantic. I cannot remember. Those two guys have to go. Th- those two guys pace that offense. I think East Carolina has a little bit more depth because they have a couple different leadoff type guys in the order with Barini, um, who's the outfielder that lit up state games three years ago, four years ago. Um, uh, Jenkins co-work? No, the, the leadoff. Yeah, I think he's hitting leadoff for him. Hoover? Left, yeah, Hoover. Hoover's been there like 12 years? They've got always got those types of guys, and they've got like three of them in the lineup, and they space them. And so <clears throat> no matter what's going on in the game – you have you don't you have an at bat coming up that's going to pressure kind of what's happening to your pitching staff and your defense. You're going to have to play. De- you're going to have to defend all 400 feet, you know, home <coughs> home field to center field. So I think that one's an interesting. Who's the the reason? There was a reason I didn't like East Carolina coming out there. Who's the three seed there? Do you have it pulled up? Uh, yes, Charlottesville. Oklahoma is the three there. That's why I didn't like it. I, I think Oklahoma gets a reprieve. I think they're a good club. Obviously played for the national title last year, but that you've probably been through this. I know we we went through it a couple times. There's just a sense of that that brick coming off of your back once you're in the tournament. We've got to do this. We're not playing well. We're, we're we we have to. We you know that there's no sense in freedom of playing because we're we're struggling and kind of climbing uphill to get into the tournament. And then all of a sudden you get in and everybody relaxes. The year was okay. And then boom, you win a game and now you go, well, why not us? Why, why can't we beat Virginia today? We, we played for the national title last year. Roll it out there. Let's see what happens. And there's just that freedom that goes with clubs like that. We've seen them, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I think 07 was, and, and you mentioned that the, the South Carolina region was South Carolina, Charlotte, State, Wofford. 
This year, it's it's South Carolina, Campbell, who's similar to our club at Charlotte that year. We were top 20 club. They were a little bit more of a hosting chance than we were, but we were in the mix. Um, we end up as a two. State gets the three. Uh, <clears throat> you know, State's not, you know, probably – uh, realistically, was a could have been a two, and then you look at the four and go, okay, it's it's not a it's Wofford's good, but that wasn't a four that scared anybody that year. And same thing this year. I think the very next year in 08 was the Virginia, App State, Oklahoma, and then a throwaway four, maybe Army. And I think that's Army's back there this year, right? Yep. I think Army's is Army's interesting too because Virginia's gonna have to pitch well on day one. Because Army's gonna Army's gonna keep their offense at bay for a little bit, and that choke factor it may get a little tight in the sixth and seventh if, if Virginia's pitching gives up some runs early. So it's an interesting regional. Um, you know, can't you know? I'm excited for Friday to be here, so I can have it on my TV. You know, I'm trying to figure out um, you know how, how I'm going to watch everything I need to watch this weekend. So I know we got scout days, we got regionals. Is MPI this weekend or next weekend? I think it's next weekend. Next weekend. So there's one less thing I have to figure out how to put on my TV. But, you know, a lot of things going on that will be exciting for us. So um, let's transition. Well, obviously, we'll be able to come back to this and talk a little bit more about the regionals and hopefully a bunch of North Carolina players moving through to the Supers. But we had a scout day last week at Mountain Island Charter up in the Mooresville and Lake Norman area. Kind of an up-and-coming program. Still young. Don't have a 17U team. I think they've kind of built grassroots from this this uh, group was 12U and kind of stayed together. They've kind of aged in that 15U area now. They've got some stronger teams behind them. Um, but regulators baseball, Matt, um, it was a good day. Mount Ohio Charler, obviously, is a, it's a gorgeous facility, all turf. Um, they've dumped some money in there, and it plays pretty true. Uh, what, did, what did we learn from the regulators scout day? And is there any players that kind of stuck out to you as you're going back through and starting to post this information to prepbaseballreport.com? Uh, good day with Mountain Island. Um, I think every kid there was their their first time going through a PBR workout. Um, I, I thought they handled it well for the first time. You know, they had a comfort level to them. Uh, the kids interacted. Thought it was a good day. Uh, a couple guys that popped for me: Brandon, Brandon Washington. Uh, he had the top exit velo on the day at like ninety three mile an hour. Uh, hit some balls hard. Evan Hogg, uh, lanky kid. Looks like he's got a lot of growth ahead. Uh, had a good day. Luke Kivett, um, stocky left-handed hitter, a good B, good BP, drove the ball the other way. And uh, Logan Featherstone, uh, athletic kid. I thought he threw well in the mound too. Uh, good BP. Uh, I think his numbers would, would jump once that body uh, adds some strength and matures a little bit. Yeah, he's a thin, young 25. The first three guys you mentioned are all 26s. You know, Washington ran a 409.30. Their 60 yards weren't ready yet. You could watch them running, and from the 30 to the 60-yard marker, there was just some maturity and some some strength levels that weren't there yet. And so, but looking at them run their 10 and their 30, there were some guys that moved okay. Washington was in that. Hog uh, or Ho <clears throat> ran a 412. Jeremiah Golden was another one that stood out for me. It's raw, but physicality. And, you know, when he, when he centered the ball in the barrel, the, the ball jumped. Uh, he had a lot of balls. He looked like he found the barrel, but he was really thin through contact. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he kind of progresses as he sees more and more upper-level pitching and can be a little bit more direct with the ball and trust some of his strength. Um, but, again, I, I think you make a great point. A lot of these guys, it was their first time going through something like this. And, you know, watching guys come out 
uh, even out of the cage. And, and you know, they're kind of self-evaluating and they're wanting, they're wanting to put on a show, you know, and just what we really want to see is we want to see who they are. We don't necessarily need to see balls fly over the fence, you know, especially if that's not your game. If your game is backside, back, backspin line drives, you know, give me, give me 14 of those, you know, and, and let me, let me evaluate the swing off that. And I thought their second round throughout the entire group, there was a significant improvement as guys kind of got used to us being there, you know, used to the BP thrower, which was their coach. They see him all the time. But, um, you know, I think even their coaches were a little bit dialed up, just the excitement of kind of <clears throat> putting their guys out there and letting people see here's what's coming. It's almost, it's almost like a, a parent watching their kid play. They want them to do so well. You know, the coaches that were helping were, were still dialed up a little bit too. Yeah, they were. And it, it was an exciting day for all of us. And, uh, really, really pleased with how their kids handled everything for the first time. Yeah, on the bump, you mentioned Washington at 26 was up to 82. Um, Featherstone at 25 was 78, 79. Strike thrower with some, some feel for spinning it. Uh, Tellus Bumgarner's a 27 that was up to 76. Tellus is kind of an intriguing frame, six foot 145. Looks like he's all arms and legs. Um, you know, but the, it, it was it was definitely intriguing. You know, and we're still diving into some of these numbers, especially with the younger guys. When we're looking at these numbers, it's easy to go velocity and go, okay, I like that guy. But we're looking, we're looking at arm path, we're looking at direction, we're looking at athleticism, we're looking at uh, quickness. You know, there's guys that had arm speed that they're just not strong enough to translate that just yet into velocity. But as the strength comes, you know that that's gonna, it's gonna pop. And so we're gonna see some of these guys. I think. You know, you and I try to put grades on guys as we even were just watching for a first time just to get get a feel. I put two young next to about four guys. You know, just need to come back and see him, you know, in the next six months just as, so I can put a grade on him. And I, the reason I do that is because I think the grade's going to be pretty pretty good, but I'm scared to put a really good grade on a guy right now throwing 75, 76. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, the you know, last thing we want to do is grade too high and throw him in the rankings and, and the maturation process happened late and then – then those guys have to fall, you know, just because of delayed process there. So probably, you know, lean a little, little, little light early and, you know, then let it jump when that body matures. Yeah. 25s, 26s and 27s at that event. So if you're, um, you know, looking to kind of get a jump on some younger players, this may, may be a group you can kind of look at if you're a coach or, you know, just kind of trying to get ahead on what's going to be coming through the state. Um, and for us, I, I think some of the 27s are guys that we're going to be looking at, for junior future games, we put together Team Carolina and head down to Lake Point and take on the country. You know that last week in July. Yeah, no doubt. That's a exciting time, and uh, inter- always interesting to see those young kids down there go and compete against other states. And uh, after a long summer for those guys, and let them get their feet wet with, uh, you know, competing down there in a great event. Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> more from the regulators will be posted here in the coming five, six, seven days. We'll have a bunch of stuff rolling out on the social media. Um, I know we've already got stat story up. I know Matt's already posted today some quick hitters on some of the offensive guys that stood out. I'll have the quick hitters on the pitchers up on Thursday, probably before this this um, podcast drops. <clears throat> and we'll conti- <clears throat> continue with information in the next week. Um, but as we transition now, Matt, Let's let's dive into maybe you know the most important topic that we've got. Um, something that's kind of driving, it. and I think it's one of those things that can get lost in the news right now because we do have college world, the college world series opening up. We do have exams for high school students, but 
there are eight teams still playing high school baseball, and they're going to be in Burlington or Holly Springs this weekend, Friday and Saturday, Friday single game for everybody's potential doubleheader. If you get to a game three on Saturday, state championships for the North Carolina High School Athletic Association. Let's start with the 4A, Matt. Um, talk a little bit about Wake Forest uh, and, and that East Regional Championship Series with Corinth Holders where they won game three, nine to four. Uh, after losing game one, they won game two, three to one. What did you take away from the Cougars on that series? I think their overall talent shined through that series. You know, they dropped game one against uh, Corinth and Briggs McKenzie. Uh, have to go on the road for game two uh, in, a, in a tough environment at Corinth and uh, a really tight game there. Uh, Cooper Allen tossed the gym. They get out with a win there. And then a game that should have been Saturday uh, with the weather coming in, got bumped up to Friday. And uh, they just – they come out. Uh, I believe got a couple couple uh, three-run home runs from uh, Kyle Brazo and uh, Stephen Crater and jumped to an early lead and kind of just coasted from there. I, I know Corinth uh, put together a little rally there, I believe, in seventh. But, uh, you know, just too much too early for, from Wake Forest for, for Corinth to bounce back. You talked about the, the the talent shining through. Carson Kreider threw in game one. a freshman. He's committed to Iowa, uh, a player that we've liked since we saw him in the seventh or eighth grade. Um, and in game one, he, he didn't get an out. He walked – I think he walked three. Uh, the game had started to get away from the Cougars a little bit, but, uh, you know, you're still wanting a strong outing from a freshman there so we can come back to him. He's got a little confidence. They don't get it, and they still got to come back to him in game three. And he goes out there and retires the first six guys he faces and sets a tone very early. We're going to be in this game. We're going to have a chance. Offense, take your time. You've got some time to get it going. But once you get it going, drop the hammer on them. And they did. You know, and Carson pitches six strong innings, two hits. He did walk four. He punched three. He made some big pitches in some situations to get out of innings and kind of keep that zero on the board. Um, and then another freshman, a uh, guy that we took the future uh, – the junior future games last year, Stephen Crater, um, big three-run home run. And, again, you're you're starting to get down in the order there, and you're still facing a Wake Forest commit, but you're going, okay, it's a freshman, but who are you going to pitch to? You don't want to pitch to Stevenson. You don't want to pitch to Allen. You don't want to pitch to Diaz. You know, at some point you've got to pitch to somebody, and Crater made them pay. Yes, he did. He, You know, he was in it in, uh, at Lake Point with us last year with the JFG performed well down there and uh, had a good series for Wake Forest. And uh, you mentioned it there, Kreider getting his feet wet in game one. Uh, I think eased, eased the pressure for him a little bit going there in game three. And uh, he come out and put together an impressive performance for a freshman. Wake Forest is going to get T.C. Roberson <clears throat> to decide the 4A championship. Roberson, an exciting three-game series. Game one – Went to Roberson in nine innings, three to two. Game two goes to Northwest Guilford, three to one. And then game three, T.C. Roberson on the uh, – were they on the road? They were at home. They were at home. I just had, I have it backwards on my sheet. Um, Roberson at home wins nine, eight in game three. Um, what are the Cougars going to see here out of Roberson? Uh, they can mix and match on the mound. You know, they, they use several guys uh, throughout that series. And I know their game got pushed to Friday, too. And I, they had it lined up where their game one starter, uh, Micah Simpson, could have threw again on Saturday. 
right. gets pushed up to Friday. So you got to go in a different direction, but they got a grand slam from Reno Jeter early, early lead. And then uh Northwest match with the grand slam of their own from, uh, I believe it was Jackson Gottfried. And yep. uh, with two outs in the sixth, Micah Simpson hit a solo shot. He had to walk off home run in game one, uh, go ahead home run there in game three and saw some video when uh Nick Parham come in and, uh, he punched out or punched out two or three there in the in the last inning. Then you see fireworks going off in in center field to to celebrate <laughs> the uh, the regional final championship. And uh, TC's been there before. I know they're looking forward to the matchup with Wake Forest this weekend. It's tough to go up the mountain, and, and Northwest I think learned that. You know, you you lose <clears throat> really two games that you're right there and you have a chance to win. And they battled back. Great year from from the Vikings. And for Roberson, you really just can't you can't say enough about their ability just to trust the process and trust the game. If we have to win one nothing, we can. If we have to win fifteen fourteen, we can. You know, Wake Forest has shown they haven't needed to, but they've shown glimpses of being able to do that. You know, I think TC Roberson's going to be able to pressure Wake Forest and force them to do some things maybe they haven't done all year. You know, can you really control this? Can you really defend this? Can you really, if we attack this guy and this guy and we pitch around this guy, can you still score runs? There's going to be a good plan from the Rams, and they're going to put Wake Forest on the defensive at some point in that series and force Wake Forest to do what the Vikings really did and and come back and, and take that big blow in the first inning, take that big blow in the second inning, and then, you know, throw your own big blow in the third. Um, you know, it's a shame as, as good as that series was really both series that anybody has to be eliminated, but I'm really looking forward to the four a games. Um, and I think they are playing in Burlington this weekend. Is that correct? Do you know? They are in Burlington this weekend. Okay. The three a series is going to feature Jay's Rose who actually just, you know, a five, four win in game one, a seven Oh win in game two over Southern Lee. Um, maybe the most cons- one of the most consistent teams in the state state the entire year, and they're going to get West Henderson. West Henderson um, <clears throat> kind of survived Oak Grove. We'll say that Oak Grove won Game One five two. West uh, threw Truett Manuel in Game Two and won two to one. And then I think at that point the the depth of Oak Grove, especially on the bump, showed came through to light a little bit. West Henderson laid the wood to him fourteen four and five innings to capture the 3A West. Um, what are you looking forward to in the 3A State Championship Series? Uh, to me, it's going to be really interesting to see if Wes Henderson throws Truett game one or game two. You know, he's kind of – he's went game two, game four, and then, you know, game two of the regional final series. Uh, do they throw him game one, try to win game one, get the momentum, and hope they can close out uh, game two and get it over quick? Because I think if that series goes three games – I think it favors J.H. Rose with all of their depth. Right. Yeah, and, and and Rose, you know, it's not like you're you're avoiding an ace. You know, Rose is going to throw uh, Hugh Collins or uh, Andrew Wallen in those first two games, and, and like you said, they they have depth behind it. We've seen it some scout days already. Um, you know, so there's not going to be a, a drop off in terms of stuff. You know, maybe pitchability, maybe game control. Um, it's just a matter, and I think it's a great point. How does Truett Manuel affect this series? You know, can you close him in game one, potentially close him in game two and start him in game three if you have to? 
Um, and I, I think that may be something they look into doing because that maximizes maybe his effect on the game as you put him in more high leverage situations. If they lose game one and he doesn't throw, he's going to throw game two. We're not going to lose with him on the bench and you know, not on the bench, but watching what's happening. But I think West, and again, we've talked about this going back six, seven, 10, 12 weeks, it seems like, of their coaching staff had a plan of developing depth and still having Truett can kind of get us out of some issues. And I think that ability in February, March, and April and what they did has put this team in, into a position where they trust a lot of guys on the bump. And so when they do roll into game three and they do roll uh, Stanko out there and he goes four innings, seven hits, four runs, three earned, you know, four Ks and no walks, well, now we can just roll to the next guy, you know, Grant Putnam, you know, and, and roll to the next guy and roll to the next guy and roll to the next and, and we don't have to sit and trust on Truett to get every big out for us because there's some guys now that have done that. Yes, they've got contributions up and down the lineup. I go to game three of the series with Oak Grove and, um, you know, hitting up and down the lineup, jumping through the early lead, and they'll definitely need that against Rose. Um, you know, another thing with, with these state championship series is, you know, they've been playing in high school parks, and right. a lot of times maybe they favor the long ball, and then you go into Burlington, which is old pro park, you know, big in the alleys, big to center. Um, you know, does that, does that change an offensive approach for a club or, or favor one team over the other? And Ting will be the same way in Holly Springs. I mean, it, it'll play big at times. <clears throat> Very rarely does it play like a high school park. So there's going to be several balls hit at some point during this weekend where the dugout jumps out in front and the ball lands 30 feet away from the fence. Uh, and you're going to mean that, <laughs> that ball's gone at our place and probably is, but you're not at your place now. And and so I, th- I think that's a good thing, though, when you're looking at the pitching staffs being stretched to three games in two days, especially for high school guys. I, I, again, there's a lot of things I don't like about the system of our championships series. This is one of them. You know, ne- at no point during the year have any of these teams played three games in two days. But to decide our trophy, we're, that's the setup. But yep. you know, you roll with it, and I think the bigger park has a chance to you know keep some of these games under control, especially if you're athletic in the outfield, and that could be a big factor. We could look up and go, man. The, the athleticism in the outfield of this team really, really held that game in check. They, they got a couple of extra outs. They cut a couple of doubles down to singles. They cut a couple of triples down to doubles. There were a couple of home runs that turned into outs. You know, whatever it is, the size of the park could play into this. So, One, one thing the West has going for them is they did put West and TC at the same site. Uh, they're very close to each other, so – do you get some holdover crowd from those games uh, pulling for the West, and does that that factor into anything? Well, I think both programs have played into that. You know, look at their social media; that they've both been, "Hey, it's us against the world. It's the mountain versus the world. It come on up the mountain. You can't. You, you, it's tough coming up here and winning. Let's come come find out. We're going to go down there, and we're going down there as a community. So I think you, there's no doubt that." especially as you get close to the, 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 the end of a game, start of the next, um, and the game's close, that, that group that comes in, you know, they, they may work with uh, parents that, are, that have players playing on the other team. You're going to see some of that, and I think that could create an advantage or, or at least a little swell to push somebody through uh, at some point. I think it's a great point. The 2A and 1A are going to be played at Holly Springs. The 2A is going to feature South Granville, 
and Burns. Um, you know, South Granville is not a club we've talked a whole lot about this year. They rolled through their conference play. They put up a good record. Um, you know, they handled Camden County uh, in three games. They showed an ability. They threw a shutout in game three, which I thought was extremely impressive with Brendan Chamberlain. Uh, and Burns, you know, they've got depth on the mound, may not have a true shutdown number one, but that offense has a chance to light you up every single day of the week. Um, your early thoughts as we're looking at Burns and South Granville in Holly Springs. Uh, thing that jumps for me, South Granville lost a nine-inning game in game one, uh, come back and, and win two games. Uh, and then Burns, seems like all Burns does is win. Uh, you know, took care of Moorhead in two games, beat Anderson Nance. Uh, you know, I think it's two teams that are that are very confident going into that series. And, uh, you know, for me, it's hard not to like Burns with, you know, kind of, you know, prove themselves all year and just keep doing it. So be, be interesting there in Holly Springs. In our 1A championship series, also being played at Holly Springs, was decided on Monday. Northmore goes on the road. All three games, the road team won in this series. Northmore beating uh, Voyager Academy 6-5 in game three. They're going to face off with Yari Charter, who a little bit like Burns, um, you know, scored kind of a knockout punch early after a one-run game in game one um, and rolled to a 2-0 sweep in the 1A West. So Yari Charter, Northmore, I know you know we haven't seen Northmore. It's, a, it's not a club that we've talked about a whole lot, but it's a team that's played very, very well here in the tournament. And you already charter a team that's um, you know kind of been on our radar here for the past month, month to six weeks. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts? Quick thoughts on the one A. Uh, I like the pitching depth of you already charter. It seems like they've got consistent pitching uh, throughout much of the tournament. Uh, variety of guys they can go to and. Uh, I believe they've been there before. Uh, I think think they'll feel good rolling in there, and hard not to like them in that one A series. We're going to have <clears throat> coverage throughout. You know, trying to work it on Friday and Saturday. Obviously, we're out and about. We've got a bunch of stuff going on this weekend. But uh, come Monday, we'll have reports out on every single game that was played, all the key moments, all the key stats, naming four champions ideally by the end of Saturday. So, um, and you can see all of that. Follow us along. Um, on Twitter at Prep Baseball NC, Instagram at Prep Baseball NC, and Facebook at Prep Baseball NC. We'll have all those links uh, rolling through the social media, but you can always just go directly to uh, prepbaseballreport.com and find all that action there too. Uh, as we as we finish up here, Matt, is there any anything that um, Anything that comes to mind in terms of the the four championship games and an overarching idea of what could decide a championship or two as we're looking from um, outside in? You know, the playoff schedule, they've played, played two games a week uh, throughout high school season. You play at least two games a week. Uh, they finish up on Friday night, got a full week off. So, how do those guys handle a week without competition to roll in to play the biggest series of the year? That's a good, that's a good point. Very good point. So um, I'm excited to follow it all. I'm excited to follow the college regionals. Obviously the scout days we have coming up, follow along with us. If you're a fan of the, of the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe, make sure you hit that like button. Um, and that way you're getting alerts as to when we post these things again. Um, and there's a ton of information coming out. We've already dropped rankings for the, the, 
24s, 25s, and 26s heading into the summer. Have not had a chance to talk about those. We will as uh, some of this information dies down. We're going to dive into some of the rankings, some of the players to watch for the summer. And also coming up, our players of the year for the state of North Carolina, our, our all-state team, and then the PBR All-American, the national player of the year. That Those things are coming up here in the, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, for Matt Payne, I'm Brandon Hall. This is the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast, and we'll see you at the field.